Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com earnings right now. NetSuite.com earnings. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to uh, bring in Martin Henneken now. He's uh, head of Asia Investment Advisory at St. James's Place. And uh, Martin, uh, as I was describing a moment ago, was seeing a bit of selling around the region. It was a, another down day for most U.S. markets. But what's really changed? Uh, do you get a sense that maybe just reality is starting to sink in about the challenges ahead in 2023? Well, there have been a few mixed news. Uh, Earlier in the week, you had got uh, quite a lot of investor optimism um, or economic optimism with the jobs reports. Um, there were also a number of other items out. But then when you dug deeper um, uh, over time and had some more things coming out later on, bank CEOs warning about recession, you have had the savings rate at a 17-year low. And just a few hours ago, you saw the credit card debt you know, up by 101 a billion in October, which is a record high. So there are some concerning um, items on the economy, and it's not exactly clear what that means um, for the Fed. But you know, beyond the very short-term picture, I'd say there are sort of three things that investors should watch out for. One is, you know, there's some weakening in the economies that might limit the Fed's ability to increase rates, which could be a, a generally a positive thing. And and there's not anyway a direct correlation between growth and recession. Sometimes when you actually get a recession, it might be the best time for equities because they're un- anticipatory. You know, As long as you're globally diversified, you also capture some of the lower valued places like China that we we're discussing before. Um, but then there's also a few things I think that investors are still missing. What? One is the Fed is not only boxed in um, by relatively weak um, growth or weakening growth, but also by high debt levels. It's something that nobody really has been watching very carefully, the U.S. sovereign debt, except the CBO. And another th- another factor that you have seen a bit of an easing of inflation lately. There's some some numbers out, uh, Manam used car index, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact that China's reopening, they have had deflation. PPI was minus 1.3% in October. That will change. Consumers are going to pick up some demand. That might bring inflation up a bit in the U.S. as well. Dollar dropping back perhaps might support inflation as well. And the rising interest that you see on the U.S. debt now could sort of uh, fan the debt uh, uh, problem and make it worse. And over time, you've heard Alan Greenspan warning even before the inflation uptake. He was one of the few people who warned about that based on the U.S. deficits. And if higher rates bring up U.S. deficits and deficits for shadow high inflation, you know, this whole rate increases might not even work and potentially even backfire in the medium term as it affects production as well negatively. So, Martin, in your work, and I, I'm going to guess here that you're looking at a lot of historical data, right? But I would 
say that we haven't been in a situation like this ever before, where we've got such a huge buildup on the balance sheet that the Fed is trying to unwind. They're going about that fairly methodically. Yes, they are trying to get the Fed funds rate uh, just right so that other areas of the credit market will modulate maybe a little bit to the downside. But if push came to shove, let's say, could the Fed adjust rather than playing around with the Fed funds rate? Could the Fed just adjust the roll off of the balance sheet a little bit to take away some of the stress that you are kind of alluding to? Um, firstly, a very good point that it's quite a unique situation. Like unlike in the 70s, 80s, now you have this huge sovereign debt limiting those, you know, Fed ability. Now, in terms of adjusting the runoff of the um, quantitative uh, uh, easing and going into quantitative tightening. If there's a wobble, you have actually seen it, and not everybody's even aware of this. You have actually seen a big wobble in the Treasury market in October. Um, you know, arguably, it's it's sort of a reminder of what happened in the UK. You had uh, Janet Yellen very worried. We have headlines. You know, here's a Bloomberg article headline. I can't show it obviously, but it says Yellen worried over loss of adequate liquidity in Treasuries. October 13, October 24th, closely monitoring. And, and looking at enhancing the resilience of treasuries. And then the, ne the next day, they're looking at buyback, you know, some of this tinkering there. But um, I think um, when you look at the big picture, this, this, this debt challenge, uh, and I would encourage everybody to read the CBO, Congressional Budget Office report, especially the 2021 long-term budget outlook, and they have just published an update as well on 30th of November. When you look at the charging there, it's really quite concerning. And, you know, when you consider how a lot of that was based on the much lower treasury yield, mm -hmm. you know, that's a challenge. Ultimately, medium to long term, what I believe it means for investors is that even with inflation dropping back a bit now, ultimately inflation remains a major risk to be watching out for. And that means, mm -hmm. you know, keep holding some assets that protect against inflation for medium to long term, even if, if exactly those have seen a lot of wobbles during the recent inflationary environment because of the fear of central bankers, you know, hiking wherever it's needed. But they may not be able to. And that's why I think inflation might become, um, you know, a still a very big challenge. It might not go away easily. So which are the best assets to look at if you want to have an inflation hedge? Well, I think a diversified basket of assets is always good. So typically, asset classes that are inflation-proof, of course, can include property, um, commodities, but also equities. I think it's one asset class that's often quite misunderstood. People have been trading like the last year whenever inflation surprised on the upside. They're selling off equities because of the concern of rates and other factors. But generally speaking, principally speaking, equities are an asset class that is inflation proof because companies that still have an edge in the market, as long as the economy is not falling off the cliff, if they have an edge in the market, they can just put on or pass on these cost increases to consumers in the form of higher prices they are charging. Now, that's not always happening in a, in a linear way and immediately across all sectors, but generally it is. And if you then diversify across different places globally. We just talked about China. There's a lot of hope there. I think with the reopening, valuations are uh, uh, low. You have a country that's not tightening at all, but rather easing and supporting growth now. Um, you know, you, you never want to bet just on any one thing. But if you diversify globally, uh, have a good exposure to inflation hedge uh, uh, assets and, and make sure, ideally, you are not leveraged to be able to sit out any, any correction. Um, I think that's a, that's a good strategy rather than chasing the daily news flow and worrying about daily uh, market movements too much. We chase the daily news flow. It's our <laughs> business here, Martin. Thank you so much for being with us. A good conversation with Martin Henneke. He is head of Asia Invest.
Investment Advisory at St. James Place. Joining us from our studios in Hong Kong here on DBA. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.